Well, um, it is hard to imagine something uh, when this, whatever this is, is all that we know. Let me say that again. It's hard to imagine something else when this and whatever, however we define this, is all that we know. If you have ever um, grown up in the same house your, your whole life, it's hard to imagine Christmas in, other, in, in any other living room. If you've grown up with certain people, a part of certain celebrations, it's hard to imagine them not being a part of it. It's hard when we establish what is our normal and then someone takes that and moves it. Or someone takes that and leaves it. And so we have these moments and maybe it might be you hear a radio from when you, uh, a song on the radio from when you were in eighth grade and someone like you get like that first love or you know that, that eighth grade dance. It's, it's what you know that that song creates and you're like, okay, how did, where, where did this even come from? But again, it's hard to imagine something else when this is all we know. For many of you know, uh, I come from Northern California. My parents are living uh, about an hour and a half south of San Francisco in, in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's, it's glorious, it, it is beautiful. Uh, we've grown up there with uh, what was a summer cottage and now it's, uh, they, they've built there and it is their home. Uh, and so we like to go through runs in the Redwood and, um, and, 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 it, and it's just beautiful, right? Um, and I've been doing this and going to this camp for um, over 30 years and there's different parts of it and, and uh, there's a, an old-fashioned steam engine that runs through the redwoods and there's these tracks that lead down and it goes through these beautiful parts and into Santa Cruz, ends up at the boardwalk and uh, anyway, right in this area called Mount Hermon, uh, there is uh, a train trestle that it looks rickety and out of commission except that it's still being used. Uh, And for years and years and years we've gone creek walking and we've crossed this train trestle and never thought about it, not thought about the sturdiness of it, not thought about anything else. In fact, Laurel and I, many, many mornings would go for uh, these long runs through the, and, and run across this. Uh, and um, you can see this, this train trestle and it just leads up into the mountains and there's this steel grate over it. And, and it's probably about, I don't know, five stories high. There's 40 or 50 feet below it. Um, I don't have a problem with heights. I guess if, if you do, this, this might be an issue for you, but it's, it's a kind of a rugged, corrugated grate. Uh, and so I'm gonna give you a little bit of a disclaimer because the next picture is quite graphic because don't go there, Bjorn. Uh, the uh, <clears throat> one morning uh, while running, Laurel tripped. And um, it was problematic because we didn't have her fully insured. It was like some huge deductible that would not cover this. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was quite traumatic, right? And, and all of a sudden, everything that we had known that was safe and normal and, and approachable became something totally different. So if you're grossed out by gross things, um, she ended up with 47 stitches after that. Uh, that wasn't too pretty, and, and you couldn't see it because it was just such a gory detail. Uh, and um, ever since that day, we still cross the bridge, but we walk carefully. We don't run across it thinking nothing about it. 
Now that bridge can't be crossed at any other pace than a very calculated, measured step going across. And this is something that we had crossed for years and years and years, except now we created a sort of a new normal around it. Let's go off of that picture so we don't have to stare at that. But if all we know in life and in social media and in politics uh, and in news reporting is accusation and uh, if all we know in life and business is self-interest, if all we know is corruption, is greed, is disappointment, um, disappointment in institution, friends, and even ourselves, what if all we know isn't enough or the end of the story or even what God intended? We are living in a world that is our normal and it is not what God intended. I want you to hear that because as we have to interpret what's going on around us, this is not actually the world that God intended. It is the world that God created, which are two different things. And so what I wanna call us to is to be people of hope that can envision something else, not a government that can be something else or even a church that can be something else or a family that can be, it's, it's who I can be uh, as God intended. And then it affects our family, and then it affects, our, affects our, our churches, and then it affects our city, and on and on. But it starts with a real independent or individual decision about understanding what God intended. So let me just give you a, a brief picture of, of God's story in that. And in Isaiah chapter 65, we have this picture of what he calls a new heaven and a new earth. And I want to paint this picture regarding God's creation, and specifically, um, our business. And so once we begin to understand what God created uh, and God intended, then we can begin to understand maybe what he's inviting us into. So if you find yourself at the beginning of a new year, kind of ambition about making changes, kind of excited or even motivated to see some things in your life, maybe create some new patterns, some new normals, uh, some new habits, this would be a good place to start. And, and he says these words, Behold, I will create uh, new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create, and I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. So he's painting a picture for God's people. He uses the term Jerusalem to represent the people of faith, and he's saying, what you have come to know as normal is not what it's going to be like. And so he starts to cast a vision for something bigger, for something better, but something that he had intended all along. And he says in verse 20, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years, who dies at a hundred, will be thought of mere youth. He, will, he who fails will reach a hundred, uh, will be considered accursed. And so he paints this beautiful picture of longevity. He paints this picture of the shalom of God, of wellness, of prosperity, in not just our resources, but in our relationships. There is a depth of life that we only get glimpses of, as the song said, but there is this life that God has invited us to try and create in our own humanity 
because he actually intended us to experience this, not just when we die, but as heaven on earth here and now. Now, if you flip to the end of the book, you start to see similar promises over, uh, over what God had created with a new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, saying there will be no more mourning, there will be no more pain and suffering and loss, and he'll wipe away every tear from his eyes. So we see what John's prophetic revelation and Isaiah's words are, are very similar. Let me just read a couple more of these verses. It says, they will build houses and they will dwell in them. They will plant vineyards, which is always a sign of God's provision and blessing, and eat their fruit. They No longer will they build houses and others live in them. Now, if you are an occupied nation and you are like left to basically subsistence farm, and people are eating the best parts of your crop, and he's painting a picture for a new reality. It's like saying, hey, you are being taxed beyond measure, and you're actually going to live more prosperously. You're going to actually enjoy more square footage. You're going to enjoy more bounty in your pantry and at your table. All the things that you have worked for are not only going to be yours to enjoy, but yours to steward and bless others with. This is God's kingdom on earth as he intended it. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by their Lord. They will be their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will, will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. That's like suggesting to us that, that liberal Democrats will lie down and have coffee without contention with conservative Republicans. I mean, there is this coming together of sides. I mean, catch the picture of what God is creating and just evening out the playing field and saying, no, there will be a coming together. There will be a day of reconciliation. And he says, they will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain, says the Lord. So he paints a beautiful picture of what it's like for the kingdom of God. And he's talking about this proper economy. And that's an important word for us to consider tonight. Where people are at peace with God and they're in proper relationship with others. We just came out of Christmas. We just came out of some family kind of gatherings that I'm not naive enough to believe that there might have been drama, that there might have been some hardship, that there might have been some reminders of what your family is and isn't. So we're sensitive to this reality, except that Isaiah is painting a picture of people in proper relationship with God and each other, which by the way, is Genesis one and two. It's the creation before sin enters the world because once sin enters, Genesis 3, shame, fear, and regret. They hide and they cover themselves. And so he's talking about the world that he actually intended <clears throat> and, and the distribution of stuff is connected to the common good. See, we live in a world that's relentlessly individualistic. We live in a society that is driven towards consumerism, that the only way to really get the economy back on track is to get people spending, even beyond their own means. And he's saying, no, there's a different kind of economy where people are able to enjoy what they have, but they also share as the common good. It's the idea that if one's in debt, 
then other people suffer. If someone's sick, then other people are also affected by that. It's like what we have in the jury system where if you are going to put people out of employment, you can use that for good because it will take employment away and you can use that as your excuse often to get out of jury duty. This is the picture that Isaiah is painting that the distribution of stuff is connected with the common good. Now, if you've grown up around church, you've understood what Paul talked about. And he said, we are all one part or parts of one body. We play unique and different roles, do we not? And some people play a very pronounced role because they have a speaking role, but that doesn't make them any more important to what makes the, the community function in the most healthy and prosperous way. Because there actually needs to be other people who contribute to the economy that God has given us. And I want to take economies and scale them and start with Mission Hills as a simple economy. It is, out of the Greek, we have the word um, economy means oikos, which literally translates to be house or a household. And the idea of the original economy, as God saw it, was that there would be a, um, this coming together. It was based on the simple belief that people were in business, and um, but the understanding that people weren't out to get us. So imagine coming into business outside of this place and understanding that people won't gouge, but people will offer goods and services at a reasonable price and other people would benefit from it. This was what was originally intended with this original barter type of economy. The question I ask right now though is what does it mean for us to be one body? Well, that's hard to think about for the common good because of the radical or relentless individualism. But the idea is if one benefits or one struggles, it affects the whole. And to the extent that you limp along or the extent that you prosper, to the extent that you're absent or that you're present in, in this community, to the extent that you contribute or to the extent that you receive, this body as a whole feels it on some level. Some of you were really stressed out in just getting here tonight, to which I would say your presence makes a difference. We don't always know the impact of the effort, and my hope is that you walk away with a little bit more bounce in your step, a little bit more inspiration, a little bit more encouragement because someone called you by name or hugged you around the neck. But the idea is, is that we are many parts of one larger body, but because we're so independent and individualistic, we tend to think of it in terms of how it affects only me, except that your presence here makes a significant difference. Now, let me talk a little bit about business, and I want to talk about vocation, because there is this temptation to somehow divide the world into two categories, and that which would be secular and that which would be sacred or spiritual. And tonight, I want to blur those lines because your participation here tonight, but your participation beyond these walls, I believe is a sacred calling, regardless of your day job. 
there is this temptation to think those of us who said yes to a pastoral calling, to be a rabbi or to be a priest or to be a missionary, they chose a spiritual path and everyone else is left to somehow hobby with God in making money in business. To which I would like to burst the balloon and call that a farce because actually I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but as I understand it, there's no word in the Hebrew language for spiritual because that would imply that a part of life was unspiritual. So can we just say that regardless of what your day job is, it is part of a sacred calling, a part of a larger economy. And I would contend that the kingdom of God needs savvy entrepreneurs and, and successful businessmen and businesswomen to contribute because you have a gift that enables you to generate resources, not for your own benefit, but for the blessing of the kingdom of God to actually go forth. But we also need people who are given to health and social services so that people can actually have access to medical health. We need people who are given and called into education so that we can break cycles of poverty and grow a level of intelligence and capacity to generate revenue on their own. So there's all of these sacred callings, whether it be in education or whether it be in social or health services or whether it just be in for-profit business that are all sacred on some level. And by the way, lest you think I put in my career time and I'm an empty nester and I'm retired, we need you not to golf too much. We need you not to travel too much because there's too much life experience. There's too much that you have to serve, to give, to mentor, to invest for you to not bring that to the barter economy and say, I still have something to give. We don't want you to go to Florida or Arizona. We need you here during the winter months. We need you a part of this household, this oikos, to leverage life experience for the greater good, to make marriages make sense, to make parenting make sense, so that six-year-old worship leaders can have a sounding board. You understand what I'm saying? worship leaders with six-year-old sons. Not six-year-old worship leaders. That sounded funny. But there's not two worlds. There's not a spiritual one and a secular one. There's not a charitable one and a revenue-generating one. There's not, uh, there's, there's not some kind of other category, a, a caring one and a competitive one. There's just one economy, and all it depends on is who's occupying the center of our lives. And so there's not two career paths. So you're not either a businessman or, or, or a businesswoman or a pastor. There's, there's just one path. And if you, in any point, have said yes to Christ, I'm so sorry to inform you, but you said yes to full-time Christian service. But your day job just looks a little different than maybe mine. And so we're not pastors or business people or doctors or teachers. We're just simply, if we are in Christ, can I just suggest to you, we're all ministers. And I believe strongly 
in the, in the priesthood of believers, that there isn't someone more sacred than the next, but we all have this even playing field that in Christ, we are ministers. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you are in full-time ministry. Or call it an ambassador, call it an advocate, call it a servant. All I'm saying is, whatever you're doing tomorrow morning is sacred, and please, put on that lens to see yourself not, not as employee whatever, whatever at Dell Computer or what, at meeting at some bank or at some real estate office. It's, I'm a minister who happens to do real estate or walk into a classroom or um, provide financing. Whatever it is, it is a sacred calling. And since it is a sacred calling, everyone else gets to benefit from it. So whatever our day job is, we're all contributors to the body, to our neighborhoods, to our city, and ultimately to our world. But we're not worrying about the world uh, or our country or even our city. We're just talking about what God has entrusted us with in terms of what we can affect and influence. And so I want to talk about this, this Mission Hills community as one body where we all bring our gifts and our abilities to the table. And so tonight, uh, how good business functions is, is part of how good community happens. And um, the way we create good community is that everyone finds their contribution to make it beautiful. And not everyone has the same contribution. Not everyone makes the same pledge. Not everyone has the same schooling or education in a particular area, but we all have a contribution to make. In fact, I've been working for churches for 20 years and a part of church my whole life. I would say, and this is not always true, but I think a lot of times the reason people leave church or get disillusioned with faith is simply because they never found their contribution. And we leave church saying, well, I didn't get my needs met, to which I would say, where were you able to give and to bless? Because if it can start here, it can go out there, especially when we don't think that there's a difference between my participation in a worship service and my participation in tomorrow's vocation. It's the same thing. One calling, and it's all sacred. So I want to have some fun with you tonight. I want to talk about economy, and I want to talk about a barter economy, and I want to paint a picture and illustrate it this way. And so, um, uh, again, the barter economy is, could you help me unwrap this? I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm struggling here. Uh, and so the economy is based on the simple belief that we're all in business, uh, not simply to what we can get out of this. Now, some of you are going to be thinking of customers and clients right away, and there's this naughty list, right? Because they're no fun to deal with. But imagine if you were able to lead in business or whatever context you lead in, whether it be in the neighborhood or with your kids or in some kind of nursing profession, that you lead Think about it this way. We're not in there just to see what I can get out of it. We're there to make what you have available for the common good. And so there was this idea originally, and, and by the way, we all need what each other has. In the original economy, as God intended it, the idea was if someone benefited at someone else's expense, it would be a violation of God's provision and blessing. It was not 
the kind of economy, the kind of oikos or household that God actually intended. So that when you and I go to stadium events or an ACL event and feel like you're paying $5 for a bottle of water, that feels like a violation, like someone's gouging here. That's not the way it was supposed to work. The idea of the original barter economy as God intended it was that people would offer goods and services at fair and reasonable prices and everyone benefits. But the idea that somehow would, one person would start marking up and making it harder for other people to benefit was a violation of that which was sacred. Now there's another talk I can give about how I don't believe that it's actually biblical to have maximized profits to which I'm not gonna get invited to any MBA programs to share this. But the notion that we were always invited to leave something on the margins for the widows, the aliens, the orphans, don't glean the fields a second time, was part of God's original end, just simply to make room provision for the common good. Now, I have some volunteers that I wanna to invite to come to our barter economy so we can illustrate this in proper fashion. And if you said yes to this, would you just come up and join me and find your place? Because this is what we wanna to do tonight. I wanna to make sense of this. Good business is actually this ancient sacred act. And so what we have tonight is a barter economy and it is the economy that is sacred to all of us. It is treasured because it is the economy that makes chocolate chip cookies. And there is something that all of us can appreciate about this, and I don't know what it is about Mission Hills and cookies, but we have a thing together, and I'm just going with it. So if you're here for Christmas Eve, you know what I'm talking about. And God's economy is just that giving away to people, it's not just giving away to people who don't have. It's not just reshuffling but uh, uh, a healthy economy is more than reshuffling it. It's built on the ability for each of us to generate re resources, to generate, use our gifts for the common good. So let's talk about the common good and creating our own economy. The idea is, is that each person starts to represent um, their gifts their abilities and their opportunities. And what they bring to the table is unique and significant, but hear me on this, it's not equal. So you have someone who brings three cups of flour, which looks kind of significant and important because it's the most that goes into the recipe. Except that, have you ever tried to have cookies where you forgot to put in a teaspoon of salt? Every gift is equal, or, or not equal, but every gift is significant. So whatever your role is in the economy of Mission Hills, or the economy that makes up our tribes, makes it so that everyone can benefit. And you think, oh, it's no big deal if I get there or not. It's no big deal if I can. It is a big deal because it's everyone finding their contribution because what we need to do is blow up the model of church that says we are here for consumerism alone, a place for religious goods and services because consumerism when it comes to Christianity is never transformational. So that's why we created a church based on having rhythms, tangible, spiritual practices that we can give of ourselves. So people give uneven and unevenly to benefit the same thing. Now, some have to give more and some have to give less. Now, here's the thing, when functioning well, 
Um, there's not independence. There's actually interdependence. Because to make the recipe work, we need all of the ingredients tonight. And so there, there's something to understand when we live in a culture of independence that actually what God blesses and loves is interdependence. Not self-sufficiency or codependency, but willing to give and receive from one another. Most of us, if, I, if I'm suspicious, would rather be on the giving end than on the receiving end because we're control freaks, are we not? I would rather do you a favor than have you do me one. But I'm learning in the helpless state that I am in trying to start a new church that I am at the mercy of God's people to step up and to create church in a fellowship hall, right? I mean, it's just, all of a sudden you realize I can't not receive. Now, everyone brings something to the table. And then the fourth thing I would say is the larger picture I think of us is empowering people where everyone has enough and when there's trust and balance. So it might mean for some of you, less profit and higher wages because that promotes generosity. And the witness that you might have as someone who has control over that is a greater testimony than in sharing any four spiritual laws. In other cases, it might mean dropping kind of us watching the clock, thinking of my time or company time and simply thinking, this is simply God's time. The distribution of stuff is connected with our hearts, which is connected to the common good. And the only way the economy works is people to give and contribute. But it's not waiting for the right response. Have you ever been there? Like, I didn't get enough thanks. There wasn't enough gratitude. They didn't steward my gift the way I would have stewarded it. To which I would say, our gifts are to God, not to the people. We love God in how we love the people. One of the reasons that I have wanted to manage our environments, whether they be our tribes, 15 to 30, it's not a small group, it's a medium-sized group, or this group. I never wanna see this group get larger than 150, 200 people before we start another one because I don't want people to exist anonymously in church and miss out on the benefit of what you're able to receive or give. The thought that you could stop showing up and no one actually notice concerns me greatly. So the idea that we can have a community that feels a little homespun, but people are known, and when someone walks in, they're introduced. I was at a friend's church and there, there was like 65 or 70 people. He planted it 10 years ago. I turned around after the service and I, and I meet this mom and she's there with, uh, with uh, two small kids. And I said, how did you end up at this church? This was last Sunday on New Year's. Uh, and, and she said, well, um, we came to realize uh, that we had no community and we weren't really connected so we started church hopping uh, and shopping and then I came here and I walked in pregnant not knowing anyone but we had heard about this church and someone walked in and and looked at me and said you're pregnant when are you due and she gave her the date which was just a couple months away to which she said oh we need to bring we we need your contact information so we can bring you meals she says well no one, none of you know me she goes it's okay it's just what we do 
Could there be some things that we don't have to have a program for? It's just what we do. It's just that when we see people come in, we figure out how to include them and how to recognize them. Um, this would be a beautiful picture uh, as people enter in. Um, there is, there's this one other verse that comes to us as we talk about this economy uh, tonight as these bags get packed. And it comes to us out of the book of Acts. And um, it's one of the only times that we see the picture of God's economy, the church, um, in, its, in its full iteration. And so it goes like this. The fellowship of believers, uh, it's describing the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together because they were all a part of tribes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, we all make up some significant part it might not feel like it's that big of a deal, but your participation is based on your contribution, whatever that might mean. And I think your fulfillment, your spiritual formation is based on your capacity to give and to contribute towards the common good. One of the things that encouraged me most about coming through our Fill the Gap campaign was that, and I even said this in the letter, I want to see us move from infancy to adolescence where each of us don't do me a favor like, oh, Dave's been worth it. I'll tip him. No, no, no. We're responding to faith in God's calling saying, I want to steward the vision and the values of this community with how I steward my financial resources. And it was sort of a coming of age moment in my estimation. But there is something, and hear me say this, there is something that each of us bring, even though it doesn't look equal, it is significant. And it's the only way that we can maintain some kind of health moving forward. You can be a teenager or a 70 something, or anything in between. You can be single or married, and there's something that you both need to give and need to receive. That's why we've been so committed to blending the life stages and the generations. So um, let me just close in a word of prayer and thank you for our barter economy and illustrating what it looks like to share for the common good, because it would be this great violation if one of them decided, no, I'm going to go and jack the prices up over here and not bless. I'm going to withhold and not contribute to the greater good. And we have a plan tonight to assemble more cookies. Now, at Christmas Eve, you had the cookie platter just fill your bag. Tonight, we want to help you put together your own bags, but not for personal consumption. These bags that I want to send you out with just probably need to sit maybe on your dresser or on your dashboard or on your kitchen table. And I'm going to just invite you to figure out who can you 
provide these for. Now, if you want to go ahead and bake them and bring them, do it. If you want to just deliver them as is, I just want you to use this as a way to bless someone else and maybe tell the story about how Mission Hills is sparking some new curiosity or creating some new inspiration or allowing you to find your voice and your contribution in a larger community of faith that you can come and go and actually be noticed. And so we want you to take this on your way out the door. Now, at the end of this month, we have a big one-year-old birthday party. Maybe this is your invitation and you bake a bunch of cookies and you're like, here, you should come to this thing with me. Here's sort of, you know, the appetizer for it. I don't know. Maybe it's but just tell the story of Mission Hills. Tell the story about the difference Christ is making in your life. Tell the difference of, of, of a community trying to encourage everyone to find their contribution for the common good among us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is with great gratitude and appreciation we recognize how faithful you are. And I pray that we would have eyes to see both the resources the needs and the opportunities that are already present in our life. I pray that you would give us a growing awareness of your presence and make us mindful of the people already around us. I pray that you would prepare people in advance for us to have conversation. I pray that you would allow us to just be a blessing with some cookies. I pray that you would start to unearth a kind of calling and giftedness as it relates to contributing to this body. But I pray as we go that tomorrow, it wouldn't just be as an employee or an employer, but as a minister of your gospel and of your good news. So I pray this for myself and for my friends, and I pray this in the name of the resurrected Christ, in Jesus' name, amen.